This is a Podcast 225 production. Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Welcome to episode 176 of the Clay Young Show here on Podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107.3 mobile app. We have a very interesting show today because of the nature of what we're going to be talking about. Our guest on this week's episode is Major Todd Morris with the East Baton Rouge Parish Sheriff's Office. And recently, as many of you may have seen, the Sheriff's Office was able to bring closure to a family after seven years. Seven years. So the story is a 43-year-old man, Oscar Lozado, is allegedly believed to have been the murderer of his wife, Sylviane Lozado. Now, in the wake of all of this foolishness is a 12-year-old girl. And it is an amazing story. There was a press conference last week. I watched it and got to tell you, man, the work done by these men and women in law enforcement was absolutely phenomenal. And the lead guy in this, who was somewhat emotional at the presser, is going to be our guest by way of phone in just a moment as we talk about this seven-year investigation that involved law enforcement, the district attorney's office, people in other states and in other countries all working together to bring closure to this story. And if you hadn't heard the details, I'm going to have him take us through the timeline and really explain what went on and give us an update on the 12-year-old who had her mother brutally taken from her and now is going to watch her father do time for that alleged, that, that, that alleged act. And so I am very uh, looking very much forward to talking with Major Todd Morris, and we will do that next. This is Dr. Mary Catherine Roderick, and I'm Katie Fetzer. We're the owners and co-founders of The Wellness Studio, a mental health practice with locations here in Baton Rouge and Covington. We are also your host for The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com. Our podcast is a journey into the world of mental health. On our show, we're going to discuss some of the various forms of mental health conditions. We're also going to shed light on the various ways our listeners can get a better understanding of how the mind works and why we do what we do. So subscribe today to get The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk. 1073 mobile app. Clay Young here with John Conroy, the founder and owner of Pest Stop, your do-it-yourself pest control solution. So John, the swarming season for termites is over and some people may assume that the danger is also over. That would be wrong, correct? Correct, yeah. Termites pose a major problem for homeowners in, in South Louisiana mm-hmm. and it's pretty much year-round. It's right. just that during the swarming season, you have an, extra, an opportunity to find out if you actually have an That's right. or not. Mm-hmm. So it's a good warning sign for you. So what do you do then? Well, the first thing you need to do is inspect around the bottom of the slab really thoroughly to see if you see any signs, any mud tunnels coming up the side of the home, uh, any visual activity in in the base of the structure, like you Mm -hmm. actually see the termites, et cetera. And then come see us and we'll talk to you about whether you have an existing problem or not because it's two different treatments. Both are soil applications, though. We've had our share of troubles here in Baton Rouge. If I need to get to you to find this, where can I find you? Well, in Baton Rouge, we're located at 806 O'Neill Lane. That's about a block south of Old Hammond Highway. Or if you have questions, just give us a call at 273-4788. After seven years, a family can now have a modicum of closure because of the work by first responders and the men and women in law enforcement who have been on this case 
for seven years. It is the story of Silvian Lozado. And I got to tell you, it's one of the most compelling stories. It's it's almost like something you'd see on television. It, it seems so surreal. And one of the lead people in making this thing draw to this next phase is Major Todd Morris with the East Baton Rouge Parish Sheriff's Office. First up, Major, thank you and everyone on your team for the great work y'all did in, in bringing a bit of closure to this family. Well, thank you, Clay. Yeah, I'm just uh, fortunate enough that we can have some closure finally after seven long years. And it's uh, been a daunting task with some uh, ups and downs along the way. And so we're real, real fortunate to be where we are today. So let's take people through this. And the end result, or at least what we saw last week, was the arrest of Oscar Lozado, the husband of Sylvian. But take us through the timeline in this amazing story. Yes, sir, Clay. Back, you know, in July of uh, 2011, the East Baton Rouge Sheriff's Office uh, responded to a, a missing persons complaint uh, about uh, Sylvian Fink having not been heard from for a couple of weeks. Um, and that initial uh, investigation began uh, as a missing person. And, of course, it, it quickly changed once uh, we became involved and uh, started learning the facts of, uh, of surrounding Oscar and uh, realized that he and his uh, five-year-old daughter at the time had uh, purchased tickets to Caracas, Venezuela, and had fled the country. And so the step after that was what? What, what began you on the trail to really look at this as being maybe an act of foul play and, and something else going on. And if you can't, and, yes, and I want, let me just say this too, because I, I said I would say it earlier. There are some things that you won't be able to get into for people listening because this process is underway. It's not yet complete. So Todd may not be able to speak to some things, but we'll get through it. But what was the tipping point to make you start looking closer at him? Well, um, we started, you know, researching the case and researching Oscar and it had any instance had occurred maybe at their residence. And we realized uh, through some interviewing of some associates of Sylvian, um, very quickly that she had been involved in a uh, domestic abuse uh, situation involving Oscar. Um, we had um, three different occasions where the sheriff's office had uh, been summoned to her residence or to a local hospital to take a complaint about uh, domestic abuse uh, by Oscar on uh, Sylvian. And so we realized that there was some history of violence there. And um, it was just out of the ordinary for her just to up and disappear. Um, she was a very loving and devoted uh, mother to her daughter, Angeline, who was almost five at the time. She was in constant contact with her family in Belgium because of her mother's declining health. And she had just returned from Belgium uh, the 1st of July and been there for uh, a little over a month with visiting with her family. And so there were some red flags there that were taking place uh, uh, immediately with us with our concerns uh, about what may have occurred. Um, and then we was able to uh, obtain a search warrant, you know, for the residents and, and began processing uh, the residents. Uh, you know, once inside process, we realized that, that we had located uh, several areas of uh, small amounts of blood uh, inside the residence uh, in the garage area specifically. Um, looked like there had been some efforts on the way to um, clean up the, that uh, garage area, but we was able to find uh some blood there ultimately through DNA testing by the Louisiana State Police Crime Lab that that uh, was identified as belonging to um, Sylvian Fink. And so you now have to walk this tightrope between trying to catch this guy without alerting him to the fact that you're on his trail while at the same time maintaining a, a consciousness about this little girl and wanting to keep her safe because you believe that this person has already murdered someone. So what was that like trying to walk that, that fine line? 
Well, that was that was difficult. Our main concern, uh, Clay, was really uh, Angelina. We realized that Oscar had fled, you know, under some uh, circumstances where we believe a crime had been committed, and now he was in sole custody of uh, their daughter. Um, we knew that domestic violence uh, had occurred in that residence, and she had witnessed that based on information that we had received uh, through interviews um, that uh, their daughter had been uh, had witnessed that domestic abuse. So we are concerned about Angelina and the facts of how he fled the, the country uh, so quickly and only taking um, Angelina. And our thought process was initially, and made the decision, we do not need to seek uh, a second-degree murder warrant. We need to seek a felony domestic abuse battery warrant because he had fled to Venezuela. That is a non-extradition country. And then, as you know, some countries will, might have reluctancy to return an individual if they know they may be facing murder charges uh, in the United States. Um, and so we knew that would be a hurdle also that I didn't want to send alerts to. I didn't want Oscar to know that, first of all, that uh, we had uh, been able to put uh, this information together and the case together, which we felt like that we could prove uh, and let him just think that, that we had just maybe a felony domestic abuse warrant in the NCIC system. That way we would be alerted if he tried to enter back into the United States or he eventually went to another country where extradition would be a possibility to bring Oscar back uh, here for uh questioning and then hold accountable you know for his actions and go forward uh then how were you able to keep him from noticing you talked about it a bit in the press conference and and you're dialoguing with him trying not to let him know that you are on to him on this other thing how'd you manage that well i mean uh, uh, oscar was smart and uh he uh he really was and so my, my ploy to him was you know he kept he told me that you know um I don't know what happened to Sylvia and she just left the house. And my ploy originally from the beginning was, well, only you can help us find her. I need you to help her. If she is truly missing, you know her the best. You've been married to her. Um, you need to help us, you know, find Sylvia. if that's the case, if she is just truly up and just left and is a missing person, um, you may have the knowledge that will help us. And so that was my, my ploy to him. And that's what we talked about through emails and back and forth. I need you here just to help us, help us with this investigation. Um, and hoping that, you know, he might, you know, would do that. I knew it would be a long shot for him to do that based on the circumstances which we had uncovered during the investigation that that uh, probably wasn't going to happen. But long as I had him engaged in dialogue with me, I could be able to keep track of him and kind of know his whereabouts. And, and that was key to helping us when the opportunity might present itself that he might try to go somewhere else or, or return to the United States or another country that, you know, I would have knowledge of that. Plus, I had some assistance and someone helping me also, too, that I had uh, gained their trust in helping me uh, through this process also, too. The fact that this took seven years, which which is kind of the thing. I mean, you're not talking about uh, a, an alleged murder or missing person from earlier this year. You're talking about nearly a decade long investigation. And I guess that speaks to the longevity of how some of these things play out for for those of us you know, on the outside looking in at this kind of talk through. The, the length of time and and why it did take so long well uh, in this particular case and yeah and there there are so many cases and, and we don't like to call them cold we like to call them unsolved okay and, and this was an unsolved case and uh fortunately all cases are not the same okay and we have you know better intel better information better evidence that allow us to continue working this and i was able to do that because i was in contact with him okay and, and he was our suspect and so it was it was very challenging at times and frustrating. You know, as I, I talked about there, I, I'd purchased on one occasion. He called me out of the blue one evening. He said, hey, I'm ready to come back to the United States. Will you help me? I said, absolutely. I'll buy you tickets uh, for you and Angelina. 
And um, whether wow. he was sincere with that or not, you know, I don't know. But I was not going to say, no, that's not going to happen. I'm going to say absolutely. And I did. I purchased tickets. Um, and I give him the, the ticket number electronically. And we communicated up until the, the day of the flight. And for whatever reason, he chose not to board it. Okay. But as long as he was engaging me, I was going to continue that engagement, hoping one day that, you know, he would either go somewhere else or, you know, eventually might uh, get him back here. I knew that was a long shot for him to come back here to the United States to talk to me about this because um, we haven't revealed our, our case of what was happening. But he knew that I had a warrant for him for um, felony domestic abuse because in one time in our conversations, you know, he says, ah, I see you have a warrant for me. You know, I said, yes, you know, as far as the, the, the family domestic abuse that occurred. And we can talk about that when you, when you get back. So interesting. You said at the press conference that you knew he was monitoring your investigation. Can you talk yes, about sir. that, like how you knew that? Yeah, um, yeah. He, he alluded to that in our conversation emails. Every time that the, the, the media here would run a story on the anniversary, would there would be something in the news about it. He would make reference that, you know, he had seen that. And so by the mere fact that, that he would call and find out that he had a warrant here and that he would allude to the fact that uh, he saw the news and, and saw what was taking place here on the anniversary dates and when they had special occasions for Sylveon, because the community was involved with this also, too, that they loved this lady. She was a... Uh, uh, a sweet lady that was a teacher there. It was so dear and close to so many people here. And she had developed so many friendships. And then, of course, with her daughter missing, you know, um, he knew that the media was going to be involved. And he, and he monitored that through social media. Wow. Wow. So in your conversation, I mean, in something like this, when it happens, you think, here it is. This lady is missing. And she's been missing for some time. And you look up and her husband leaves and, and takes their daughter. You know, in in, in the case of most men, you you devote every waking moment of your life to trying to find out you know, where is your loved one, and then he 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 flee if uh, flees the country. So many things about this had to send up red flags. How were you able to also keep up with the well being of the little girl? Well, and that's you know that was hard too. He he would just assure me that because I, I would always ask how is Angelina, and he's oh she is doing fine, she's okay, she is in school, and of course I'm having to take him at his word for that. Okay. Um, and so, because my questions were to him and, and how is Angelina? And he would tell me she was, she was doing fine and she was doing good because our concern was for Angelina, not knowing, you know, how she was being treated in Venezuela based on what had occurred here. We believe had occurred here that we think that we can prove, uh, how he treated, um, Sylveon and then ultimately what happened to Sylveon. In the last couple of hours leading up to getting him and then taking possession of the little girl, little girl, I told you when we spoke the other day that uh, watching the emotion with you and the sheriff talking about this little girl, you feel that because you you can almost I mean, you can empathize with the with the pain that this little girl is going to have to go through for the rest of her life with this reality. Take us through that last 12 to 24 hours. Yeah, well, and it really was because uh, just so you know, Clay, just I really I need to just say a couple of things real fast here. Just I, I I would not be here today without the assistance that I received from the DEA in Mexico. Okay. Um, their regional director Matt Donahue, who I reached out to, hooked me up with an agent that was as committed as I was to helping see this through. And I'm just I have to express that because and their relationship with the Mexican authorities there was phenomenal. Um, and there were a lot of ups and downs leading up to those last 12, 24 hours. And I, so the viewers, and you can understand, I mean, it was like a roller coaster. One minute, my counterpart who I've been working with literally day and night uh, on this, providing information to them, who was getting to the Mexican authorities, um, he said, yes, this is going to work. 
No, man, it's not. I don't. I don't think it's going to happen. Then, oh yeah, man, we, man, we, it, we got this. It's going to work out. I believe I've got everything worked out. No, I don't think it's going to happen. And then wow. um, finally, I mean, really, it was that emotional of a roller coaster. And he told me, he said, it's just, it's Mexico. That's just the way things operate. It's different from the United States. You have the best plan in place, and then thirty minutes from it being executed, it could it could fall apart. And that really, I we had those peaks and valleys. It was a very emotional roller coaster ride. Um, and he said, man, hang on, we're not out of this yet. And, uh, with his relationships with the Mexican authorities, um, we're, where we are today because of that relationship with DEA and the Mexican authorities. So they have, uh, uh, been very accommodating and gone above and beyond to help us not only surrender Angelina to me, but also bring Oscar back and surrender him to the uh, border patrol for me. Um, but leading up to that, um, I had, uh, one of our canine officers, Adina Wells, who speaks, uh, fluent, uh, uh, Spanish, and she helped us out a lot. Uh, I'd given her just a little bit of information because it was very sensitive. I could not let this get out uh, because if it didn't, he heard that he would have been gone. Um, yeah, and as yeah. the people have to understand, they understand why didn't you have this out and why didn't because the media is always time asking me questions for an update. Update. I, I'm just I tell them it's ongoing. It's an investigative process, and I know it was frustrating for viewers and for the media too. But if he had any word of this that was going to happen, he would have been gone with her again, and, and we would not have had this opportunity. But leading up to that evening, um, you know, they said, yeah, I believe this is going to happen. I was providing information uh, to my DEA counterpart who was relaying that and speaking with the, the Mexican authorities, the governor and the subsecretary of Mexico and the governor of the uh, state of Coahuila, uh, who were very instrumental in this, and um, and uh, the director of immigration is there. And then finally one night, I really had got at the house this late, and then I received a phone call that said, uh, can you be at the Del Rio border in the morning? We will relinquish control of Angelina to you. And I said, absolutely, I will be there. And um, I called Diana and said, hey, uh, is your bag packed? She says, I'm ready. And so uh, we took off. Just that quick, really. Wow. Just that quick. When you, I was not going to miss out an opportunity, and, and, you know, for this to, to, to happen and, and get Angelina back to the United States and knowing that she is okay. When you were able to see her for the first time, I, I can't imagine the emotion and the confusion that a 12-year-old is going through based upon what's happening around her. Yeah, and that's true. And we were concerned about that. Uh, initially on, just so you can understand, when the uh, the Mexican authorities, uh, family service there, you know, took possession of Angelina, you know, they made sure that uh, they, she saw a psychologist, and, and we wanted that because she'd only been in Mexico for about three weeks is all, okay? She'd been in Venezuela <clears throat> with her grandmother, and so now she's in Mexico. She's there just about three weeks, and now they have her. Now, four or five days later, six days later, you know, she's speaking to be relinquished to myself and Diana Wales uh, to be brought back to the United States. And so it was very traumatic for her. And our concerns were for her well-being because she has been through a lot, okay, and not by her choice, okay. And so we wanted to have a smoother transition if we could. And really, we met really on the center of the bridge, and that's the, that's really the way it is. We go through the point of entry that Del Rio. We got to the center of the bridge. Um, they were there waiting for us. Um, I had to complete some uh, documentation for the Mexican authorities before they would relinquish to her, and I could see her sitting there in the vehicle. And, and then, you know, once that was done, you know, we had some conversations, and then, you know, Angelina comes out. And, of course, she's scared and frightened, okay? She really is, and my heart broke for her, okay? Because now I'm taking her again, okay? And so I was just we were really concerned about her and tried to console her, Diane, and I did. And so did the, uh, the Mexican immigration officials, you know, try to reassure her that, that she's going to be okay. And I told her, I said, baby, it's going to be okay. We're going to take good care of you. And I told her that. 
Those are my first words. Baby, it's going to be okay. We're going to take good care of you. Right. So I want to try to reassure her that, that um, she was not being just passed off to, to go to wherever. We were going to bring her back here to Louisiana and take care of her. And it really it was very emotional, but it was great to see her and know that, that she was okay. And then we began trying to create that dialogue with her uh, immediately, trying to put her little mind at ease because she was real sad, and, and rightfully so. It's and, and it's such a tough situation with everything, but I saw a news story with one of her coworkers at Bruley because uh, she was a yes, she sir. was a teacher in in uh, West Baton Rouge, and they talked about her in such glowing terms. But they said in the, in the piece they talked about she kept a file uh, documenting Correct. the abuce there. So yes, sir. I mean, explain the the psychology behind that. Was she trying to leave? Uh, some hints that if something happens to me, this is what possibly may have happened or, you know, the, the logic behind that, if you can get into that. And I don't know that you can. Yeah. And not really. I can just touch briefly. We, we just know that, that, that she was um, having documentation there and she was keeping that away from the house from Oscar. And, um, and, and, and we're glad of that. Okay. Cause we have this documentation, you know, that's beneficial. And I speak to that in the, uh, affidavit of probable cause about the documentation that we have and some photographs that we reviewed that, you know, would have been taking place uh, with, um, Sylvian and Oscar while they're residents here in Baton Rouge. So that, that's an integral part of the case too. And I really can't, you know, dwell on that sure, too much. Sure, sure. I don't want to mess anything up, but, right. but we do have some idea and have some information about all that. Yes, sir. Well, I, I just got to tell you, a, a hell of a job and with everyone involved, and our prayers are with this little girl because she has got a steep, rough road ahead of her, but it just seems yes, like sir. she has got a lot of love and a great support system around her. She really does, yes, sir, and I can't thank DCFS enough. Uh, they have been tremendous here, and we also have the Fink family here in town also, too, and they're going through those processes, and um, Angelina is doing good. I've visited with her probably three different kind of times now for hours now and uh, playing with her, and uh, uh, we played board games, and <laughs> you know, I brought her cakes. So we could celebrate her birthday and uh, have some conversation with her, just reassure her that you know she's in a good place now. Um, but there are really so many people. I've, I've been very fortunate just to kind of to lead this investigator. So many personnel that, that work for us uh, and the state police and our, our state and federal local partners are instrumental in this. Um, in fact, the other day, my colonel sent me an email. He said, uh, and he had a list of everybody he thought that I had been in contact with. Because, I mean, I was dealing with the Belgian police, the Belgian embassy, wow. the Mexican authorities, DEA. And there's probably about 19 entities that uh, that I've been in contact with some formed during this whole process uh involving this and then the, of course the dea is the the one that helped us where we are today and i cannot thank the, the dea and matt donahue enough and uh that agent's assistance that uh i've been working with literally he bought in he said we're going to save this little girl and he had the same mindset that i did he said we're going to save this little girl and i wow. can't thank uh, that gentleman enough there uh who's working in uh dea mexico for his assistance and, and the dea because we would not be here today well, Major, when this when this thing is fully complete and we've gone through the trial part of this and it's wrapped up, I know it's going to be a while. I'd love to have you back. Come sit in studio. We can talk more about this. And, and, and at the very minimum, give the public an update on this little girl who who kind of belongs to the community now with all the love around her. And she does. And I almost have this. She is she is doing well. And uh, I really can't speak about that. But I, I've met with her and seen her and Angelina is doing good on the circumstances. And um, and so that's important. And, and it's very important. We want to make sure 
for her well-being. But, Clay, I would love to do that. We appreciate you and your support for law enforcement. You're an advocate for us, and I can't thank you. I can't thank the community enough for, you know, uh, getting behind us, Sylvian, and supporting her family. And like I said, they're here, there, and I'm with them every day, the Fink family, through this transition, trying to help them as much as we can because the case doesn't stop, okay? It's right. still going to go. We want to make sure that uh, Angelina is in a good place. The Fink family who is here, the Sylvian's sister and brother are here, and uh, George's wife are here, and I'm with them daily, helping them also through the process and understand, you know, um, how this is going to work. So we appreciate the community support and your support uh, in this endeavor. Thank you, sir. Executone of Louisiana has been helping businesses in Baton Rouge save money on their telecommunications for over 40 years. Executone will help businesses upgrade their phones and intercom systems, save money, and never have to worry about local customer support. Doctors' offices, hospitals, schools, businesses, it doesn't matter. All kind have depended on the good people at Executone to upgrade technology and save money. I have a question for you. Do you like saving money? Sure, of course you do. Here's another one. Do you want to keep the most up-to-date phone and intercom technology while saving money? That's what it's all about. That's a no-brainer. Don't get sucked in by out-of-town companies who are not here if you need technical support. Executone has been here, and they believe in the value of customer service, baby. Don't take my word for it. Give them a call, 225-295-3500. That's 295-3500. Oh, look them up. ExecutoneLA.com. Executone of Louisiana. They still here, and they're going to continue to give you great service. Promote your business or organization on Podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. You know, there's so much good that happens that can counterbalance some of the bad that happens. And that goes for communities and the good people and schools and in communities who work hard to help their neighbors and in law enforcement and the work done by these men and women who literally put their lives on the line every day. And I think we've become so cynical as a society that we only look for the bad in people and we forget that there are people every day who care about their neighbor regardless of what that neighbor looks like. I remember last week in Baton Rouge on Jefferson Highway for people who who know the area and who are listening from here, just a busy highway in Baton Rouge. Going up Jefferson Highway, my son's with me and we notice that traffic is kind of slowing down and we get up and there is an SUV kind of not moving in the middle lane and as I get closer I see this young African-American man looks like he probably is in his early 20s who's hopping out of his SUV and up ahead uh, a young lady African-American is getting out of a car that seems to have stalled while he's on his way to the rear of the car to help push another kid white kid is, is out of the car he's already pushing or starting to push as he gets closer to the kid, they kind of, you know, dap each other up and, you know, tag hands. And then they push the car out of the road. And I said, you know, those are the kinds of things that happen all over that nobody even thinks about. 
all we think about is the division. And I'm saying all that to say that the, the effort done by these men and women in law enforcement to bring justice for this lady and to bring this young girl to safety is something that we ought to think about. Just one man's opinion. And I'm, I'm glad they did this. And again, we'll give you updates on, on this when it's over with. But just an amazing story. I hope you enjoyed hearing about this. And it's just a, just a tragedy. This, this lady, Sylvian, seems like she was very respected and very loved by colleagues and by family. And God bless and Godspeed to this little girl who's got a tough road ahead of her. All right, guys, hopefully you enjoyed episode 176. We will catch you next time here on The Clay Young Show on podcast225.com. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.